0: you can turn with me to Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endured unto all generations. Let us pray for the Lord's blessing. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would indeed uh, cause these things that we read about to happen in our hearts, if they had not already Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you've preserved it. Lord, we thank you that we have it on our laps. And Lord, help us to indeed praise you, to be thankful, to know who we are, and more importantly, who know who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning, in light of Thanksgiving, I would like to take you through this psalm. It's a short psalm. It's often used as a call to worship all to reflect and to think about God's ownership of creation, to think of who he is and his providence in our lives and the grace, and it is there to promote thankfulness and praise to him. The last song, as I said earlier, that we sung was based on this psalm, and it used to be known way back in the old Geneva hymnal as Old 100 or Jubilati Deo, sing joyfully to God. And also the doxology we often sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow, is associated with this psalm. This psalm comes near an end of what sometimes is called the string of royal psalms, starting in Psalm 39 onwards towards Psalm 100. Psalms that can be richly applied to Christ, as of course all psalms do, his work, his person, and kingdom. In the heading of this psalm in the King James says a, a song of praise, others translated a song of thanksgiving. And it is the only psalm that has this heading. It's a psalm that is full of thankful adoration to God, to our great Triune God. And it ought to be our daily expression in our lives as the people of God, as J.P. asked about in prayer, that it would be a an, an, an heart of thankfulness overflowing with the Lord's goodness that we see in our lives. The Jews say that this psalm was penned down to be sung with thanksgiving offerings in the temple, be right before or after. Whether or not that's the case, the psalmist directs all people everywhere to sing and worship God. One and two, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands, serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing. It's a way, a sad commentary on mankind, that we have to be directed to do this. It should be natural in us. There should be automatically a geyser of water flowing out of us to praise and honor God. But of course, ever since that fall of men, we need to be told. We need to be warned. We need to be encouraged to obey our great creator. It was the first reaction of Adam and Eve when they had eaten the fruit, that something terrible had happened. Whereas they used to enjoy God in the garden in the evening of the day, they used to praise God and commune with him. They were now hiding from his presence, away from serving him, away from praising him. That joy that they once had was now a dread, as we see when they hide themselves. They and all their offspring, us included, are sins. Become fools, as the Apostle Paul spoke about in Romans, vain in their hearts and darkened. Yet, God, of course, did not leave us in that state, but in mercy, He provided a sacrifice for them, even then, and offering a picture of that precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was to come. The psalmist here is talking to God's people here, those that love Him and serve Him, and that are called out by God. He says, make a joyful noise or a joyful sound unto the Lord Jehovah. The word Jehovah here. That great name that tells us I am who I am. Who does not change. Who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The self-existent one. Him we should sing and worship. Psalm 95 has a similar exhortation. Verse 1 says, oh come, let us sing unto the Lord Let us make a joyful noise unto the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is great God. He is a great king above all gods. We have reason to praise God because what he is in himself. The Lord is God. The God of the nations were idols, deities, non-entities, but Jehovah is God. He is supremely great, supremely good and self-existence. He is that fountain of being and well-being. Infinitely perfect and ever blessed. The psalmist here in verse 2 calls us to experience something. The singing, the serving that he speaks about ought to be joyful. It ought to be with gladness. There's something that has to come, or he expects something has to come from our hearts. He's looking for worshipers in spirit and in truth, real and happy. Is that not the chief character of every believer who has been rescued by Christ? He has been redeemed at a great price, and from now on he lives his life wholeheartedly and willingly and ready to serve and worship our great king. The heart that was once at enmity against God by new birth has been changed. To want to worship, follow, and obey. Not perfectly, but there is a change. Many times, and this morning included, when I hear on Sunday mornings and we hear the singing nice and loud, I sense the reality of what people feel that we sing about. They know it. They know it to be truth. They know those great truths of our faith and the great truths of the gospel. And it ought to move us, isn't it? It ought to have us rejoice with exceeding great joy even, as the shepherds were told, when we think what God has done for us. He has drawn us from the miry clay. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The psalmist also envisions and commands all lands, not just Israel, to praise and worship the Lord, a picture of the Redeemer to come. Remember the angels that brought the glad tidings to the shepherds, said this would be to all people, Jews and Gentiles. The psalms reads forward into the New Testament, as it were, thinking of the enthronement of Christ, our high priest, entering into the holies of holies. And we have come through To the throne of grace through this great redeemer. It's a picture also of that one day saint and sinner will bow the knee before the Lord Jesus and confess his great name. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with singing. In the Old Testament of course that was in and around the temple there where God dwelt in the holies of holies. In the church we have that promise where two or three are gathered in my name there will I be. Paul instructs us in Colossians 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace into your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father by him in Christ. And he repeats that theme of joy, That we see here in Psalm 100, when he writes to the Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. We're commanded to be joyful, cheerful people in all of our life. Whatever we do, do it with gladness and fervor to the glory of God. The Apostle Paul, speaking to those that work for a boss, writes, he said, Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. And not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Elsewhere, when he talks about the daily things, such as eating and drinking, he says, Wherefore, when ye eat or drink, whatever ye do, do it all to the glory of God. So we even serve God in the way we drink and eat. The Lord Jesus, speaking about our good works, says, So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. We're commanded to serve him with gladness. How do you come this morning, for instance, to church? Do you come joyfully? Do you come expectantly? Do you come in time? Do you come prayerfully? Are you entering these doors with thanksgiving? Thanksgiving that we can Do this in freedom, thanksgiving for the people around you, thanksgiving that we can offer to our great God. How do you come through these doors this morning? Of course, the Psalms also gives us a reason to praise God. You know, you may say, well, I don't always feel like those things we just spoke about. Those desires, those longing, those inclination that the Psalm speaks about here are not always there or there. Sometimes barely there, perhaps. There's a bit of water left in my well of joy, but not so much. Maybe serving the Lord with gladness and singing with joy, as the psalmist says here, fills us with an awareness that it's often not so with me and with you. Yes, I obey his commandments, but it's not really with joy. Yes, I serve others, but it's more of a duty rather than a heart of love to God. Yes, I sing praises to him, but sometimes I can't wait to get out of here. One commentator writes, Christian cheerfulness and joy credits our faith. That's true, isn't it? Who is ever attracted to a miserable person? Cheerfulness and joy credits our faith. But sometimes, if we're honest... We don't always feel and operate that way. Well, the psalmist knows that. He helps us with these battles in our heart. He gives us some reasons for joy, praise, and thankfulness. Calvin writes about the psalms that in them we find the highs and the lows of the Christian experience. In the psalms, we find various writers in deep lows and in in high highs that we might be encouraged in all of life's circumstances. And to combat the natural inclinations of our sinful heart. The Lord knows our frame. He knows that we are prone to unbelief, doubt, lukewarmness. The Psalms are filled with remedies for these spiritual troubles our unbelief, our doubt, despair, sin, and points us again and again in various ways to the goodness of the Lord. First, he told us to do certain things, to feel certain things in these first two verses, to be joyful, to serve with gladness, to come before his presence with singing. And now in verse 3, he reminds us why. A reason, a motive, as it were, for the exhortation he spoke about in those first two verses. Know ye that the Lord is God, he says. He wants our worship and praise and thanksgiving to be intelligent, We must be familiar with God. We must know him. And why we worship him. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The Westminster Confession says. And we must be acquainted with him. Have a thorough understanding of who he is. Who he claims he is. And all his wonderful works and his benevolent mercies that we have in him revealed through his word. Other gods are mere idols made with human hands or demonic entities that the end will prove to be empty and false. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. He goes back to our origin. He goes back to creation. Man is the crowning achievement of God's handiwork, his creation, as we are made in his image and likeness. Shall not the creature honor the maker? Is he not the potter and we are the clay? You know, when Paul was preaching in Athens to these pagans, philosophers, he took them back to creation, Acts 17, 23. And he, he tells them, for as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom ye therefore ye ignorantly worship, him I declare unto you. God hath made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with man's hands, as though he needed anything. Seeing, he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord. Happily they might feel after him. And find him, though he be not far from any one of us. In him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. In him we live and move and have our being. How easy do we forget that? We sort of get up, it's automatic. We think we have our own life in our hands. Both Paul and the psalmist take the people of God to the maker of all people. Our life from the beginning to the end is in his hand. He is our maker, our owner, and he is our preserver. The hands, the mind, the eyes, the mouth that we worship him today are fashioned by him, designed perfectly. Remember who made you, he says. Remember who placed that breath in you. Remember We sung it this morning, from our mother's arms, right? Every breath from our mother's arms. For some of you, it's a long time ago. For others, it's just recent here. Every breath is that gift of God. And of course, from there, we can expand to all of creation. Psalm 8 and 19 speaks about the vast heavens, the handiwork of God. They declare his glory. Psalm 8 verse 3 says, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon, the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And what is the son of man that thou visited him? He ends that psalm with, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. The psalmist is affected in his heart when he considers creation, when he considers nature, the handiwork of God, and that God was mindful of us, and that He would seek after us and seek fellowship with us. So, before the psalmist instructs us to be thankful to God, He asks us to consider who He is—the one and only God, the Creator of all things. He demolishes that that foolish and Blasphemers believe that we made ourselves as evolution does. He does not stay there, though. He goes on to say that we are the sheep of his pasture. The church, the elect of God, the chosen and precious to him. For the Israelite, they knew what this meant. They knew that by grace, Abraham was called by God. Free grace made a covenant with him and called him out. Who was a pagan worshiper? an idolater, to be a true worshipper of the true God. God revealed himself in a progressive way to this nation, to his sheep more and more as history unfolded and made his character and his person known to his people. They were the sheep of his fold, this nation. They were the special object of his love and care. And what a good thing to remember, believer, That our first creation and our second one, the new birth, was solely by the hand of God. Ancient Israel, nor us would follow or choose ourselves to follow the great shepherd. God sought us, just like he did Adam and Eve. Where art thou? He asked. He sought them. Always been the case ever since. The creator of heaven and earth came down and he humbled himself, became men took that sin of all his sheep, blackened by sin, washed them in his own precious blood. Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherein he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By By grace are you saved and has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. You know, often these verses, we read over them quickly, but it just tells us about the unbelievable kindness and love of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he goes on to say, just as the first creation Adam and Eve, he says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So he reminds them in this verse who God is. Ask them to think, to use their mind, be renewed, the apostle says in Romans, by the renewing of your mind of what God has done. He calls him to remember the honor and the mercy, the love and the grace to be known, to be guided and to be tended by this great shepherd. Eidelberg Catechism, question one, part of it it asks, what is my hope in life and in death? And part of that question says that he also preserves me in such a way, without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together. For my salvation. What a comfort. That's our shepherd. He is acquainted with all of our ways. In sickness and in health. In hardships and losses. In our sins and in death. And he promised us. To never to leave us or forsake us. And that all things. Would work out for our good. Do you believe that? That all things. Would work out for our good. We quote it often. Probably have it memorized. But do we actually believe that? Do we operate like that on a day-to-day basis? That thing, that issue, that sickness, the problem you have right now that you maybe dread so much that you spend your time fretting about, perhaps way too much, grumbling over, self-pitying over, perhaps you make the life of your family hard and miserable over, is for your good. That's what the word says, It's for your good. the sooner, the better we get this and believe it, the better. And we'll save ourselves a lot of misery. And it saves us from bringing dishonor to the Lord. Paul writes in Thessalonians 5, 18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Is this not a great reason for rejoicing, to sing out loud, to serve this God with gladness? to praise him who became a shepherd that would die for his sheep. This is your God. This is your shepherd, the psalmist reminds his people. Think of the mercy to be called one of his people. While millions are born and die without even hearing the gospel, you, by grace, if you have faith are his people. You've responded to it by his mercy. We are in his tender care, in his pasture we walk. His eyes are upon us. Well, having stirred their mind and heart and feelings, he goes on to say, he said, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Oh, having been told this, and if this is true for us, when we have received such mercy, ought we not to enter into his courts with praise, with a heart full of thanksgiving, a heart of praise? Can you look at the mercies you've received and stay unmoved? Do you take them for granted? Does it take you a long time to think of the mercies that God has bestowed upon you? Spurgeon writes, in all our public service, the rendering of thanksgiving must abound. It is like the incense of the temple, which filled the whole house with smoke. Entering into the holies of holies was at that time only once a year by the high priest. But our Lord Jesus opened it with his own blood. Mercy allows us to enter, for Christ has gone before us. We can now enter there with boldness. Hebrews says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us, through the veil that is to say, his flesh. Be thankful, he says to him in verse 4, to us in verse 4. Look back, consider the being of God, his works, his salvation, his gifts that he pours upon us, his mercies that are new every morning thankful for the gift of prayer that we have an ear with the most high he tells us to cast our burdens before the throne of grace I'm sure that all of us know that song count your blessings name them one by one Psalm 103 sort of says something similar he says bless the Lord O my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name bless the Lord O my soul and forget not all his benefits why because we often do Psalm 1, 16, verse 12. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits to me? Here David steers himself up in the duty of praise. He wants to employ his whole being, all that is within me. He knows from experience that when he stops doing that, trouble will follow. And I'm sure you and I can relate. As many places in the Old and New Testament that we are asked to consider to count up the Lord's gracious gifts, his blessings, his benefits, and most of all, of course, the gift of himself in the Lord Jesus Christ who bought us and brought us to God. What is the reason why we're often called to do this? Because we're prone to what? Count our blessings? I think if we're honest, we're often prone to count our discontentments our supposed lacks, our grievances. I'm afraid that all of us in our mind carry a little or not so little list of things that are difficult, that we are discouraged about, that, are, um, that we complain about, and that those weigh more on our mind than the thousands of blessings and mercies, be they spiritual, material, or physical. How is that in your own life and in your family's life? Do you privately have a heart that is thankful to God? If your kids think of you now or later when they're grown up, would they say mom and dad were a thankful people? They had their ups and downs. They were not perfect. They had trials and hardship. But through it all, they were thankful. Thankful. They were always praising God and being thankful for him in different circumstances that came their way. And they trusted in him. I've got a friend in Lacombe. He lost a son a couple of years ago. He's in his late 60s. He's got Parkinson's, and you can start to see that a little bit. Things have not been easy. But one thing I notice about him, he's always thankful. Always thankful. And he's always been like that, of course, by grace. But what an example. I go there sometimes just to see that example. Are you cultivating that activity in your home? Parents, since this commandment is so frequent in the Bible, pervasive in Scripture, are you regularly sitting down with your kids and family and consider your mercies and your blessings, thanking God, praising him in all circumstances? This doesn't come naturally to us, of course. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us. We need to encourage others and ourselves in his word to do this. Gratitude keeps our focus on God, his promises, and his goodness, rather than focusing laser sharp on the problems at hand. For this to happen, we need to be rooted in Christ. Thankfulness, gratitude first is God's words. But it also extends to our fellow men, friends, family. Thankfulness is contagious, isn't it? It's an example to others to follow in their thankfulness to the Lord. One of the sins in Romans chapter 1, that awful list pictured there of the depravity, is the unthankfulness of man. We don't often think about that, that your sin is in that list. Because of that, the Apostle Paul says... When they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. That's strong language. Unthankfulness is at the root of a darkened heart. And I wonder sometimes how our lives will be changed by a frequent, intentional obedience to this commandment, to praise And to count, to consider our blessings, even in hardships. To consider the truth of God's revealed word on this topic. Paul writes us to be rejoicing always. To glory even in tribulations. To recall, you recall him in prison, he was singing praises to God. His salvation, that's where it's all rooted in, in Christ, was so great. So valued that even hardships, of which he had many, we're seen through that salvation. True contentment, of course, is always spiritual. It was for Paul, and it is still true for us today. If we don't have it, pray for it. Implore the Lord for it. Repent of it. Draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. He will always answer a prayer of that type of sanctification. Truth about God stirred the psalmist up. Truth brings forth affections, as we see here in these psalms. Affections of love, of joy, of thankfulness, and a desire to bless God, to bless him for all he has done. See, thankfulness does many good things in us. Who wants to be around a person that's perpetually unthankful? They're a bucket of misery to be around, isn't it? And maybe we've been there, ourselves being the culprit. And thankfulness, unthankfulness, weakens every grace. Every Christian grace, every fruit of the Spirit is weakened by the spirit of unthankfulness. Thankfulness, of course, eliminates pride. It is eliminates self-confidence, eliminates boasting. James says that every good and perfect gift is from above come down from the Father of lights, with who is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. But most of all, and we see this at the end of verse 4, it should cause us to bless him, to worship him, to lift his name on high, to proclaim good things about God, to honor him with our heart and mind, with our deeds and with acts. Praise my soul, the King of heaven, to his feet, They tribute bring, ransom, healed, restored, forgiven. Who, like me, his praise should bring? We'll sing that shortly. Hebrews 13, verse 15 says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Spurgeon writes, Expeditory sacrifices are ended. Thank the Lord for Christ, what he has done. But those of gratitude will never be out of date. The purpose of thanksgiving is to bless God, to bless his character, his person, his attributes. Bless him for what he does, what he gives, what he takes, to bless him as long as you live. In all your circumstances, he has blessed you so bless him in return then verse 4 for the lord he gives us another reason another motive for he says he said all this and then he says for verse 5 sorry for the lord is good his mercy is everlasting his truth endureth to all generation he also appeals to the attribute of god's goodness his love his graciousness towards his sheep how he has been faithful to his people. God goodness colors all his other attributes. He is that ever inexhaustible fountain of good. An ever flowing stream we can drink from as his people. It knows no bounds. The psalmist says, "O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Psalm 107. Oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness. And for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfied the longing soul and filled the hungry soul with goodness. His goodness. Can't we go anywhere else to fill our soul that will last, that will really satisfy, other than the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the fountain of all good? The goodness of God refers to the perfection of his nature. God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. God is good, and that's a solid rock to build on, a constant trust, hope, and anchor. His goodness is seen at the first creation. He called it good. It was seen in his daily provision. And, of course, it's supremely seen in the grace that brings salvation and goodwill towards men. And that mercy and truth is an everlasting one one that will go from one generation to the next. His promises are true, and they are true forever. Not one of his sheep will ever be lost. In the ages to come, they will sing and adore him forever and ever for his mercy, for his everlasting mercy. His unchangeableness is a great motive, too, to turn to him, isn't it? He's not fickle like we are. He's not fickle like the pagan deities, and all things are fickle outside of him. Short lived, not fulfilling, but empty. But at his right hands are pleasures forevermore. To become truly thankful, of course, we must become Christians. If we have never gone to Christ, being this thankful or rejoicing, praising God, serving God is not possible might be lip service but true heartfelt serving and praising god is not possible without going there first we need his forgiveness first we need to enter into the gates of salvation become sheep christ is that door unto that great fold we can go we can come only through him John says, I am the Jesus says, I am the door by me, if any man shall enter in he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they may have life, and they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. Amen and let us pray. Heavenly Father, indeed, what shall we render unto you when we think of all your mercies to us? Day after day, you've poured mercies upon us. Father, help us every day, but especially this weekend, Lord, to think about that, Lord, and that it would be resulting in a a heart that would love you more, that would serve you better, that would be filled with gladness. Father, we thank you above all for the Lord Jesus Christ, who took miserable sinners like us unto himself, washed them, cleansed them, and made them whole. In his great name we pray. Amen.